Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. We'll be finishing up this chapter this evening, considering verses 11 through 16. 11 through 16. Before we consider God's word, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, bless us now with your very word, the word that contain words and wonderful words of life regarding our Lord Jesus Christ, regarding who you are, regarding all of your works, your justice, your judgments, your righteousness. O oh Lord, help us to see your truth this evening, we pray. Bless us and be at work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Hosea chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Hear now the holy word of God written for you and for me today. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their beds. They assemble together for grain and new wine. They rebel against me. Though I disciplined and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword. For the cursings of their tongue, this shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, what was Israel like in their sin and their wicked rebellion? God has given us many pictures and illustrations, hasn't he? As Hosea has spent many chapters laying out God's case against them, he said they were spiritual adulterers and harlots. They were like a stubborn calf, chapter 4, verse 16. They were like unprotected lambs in the open countryside. And yet Hosea said that God would be like a lion against them, chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 14. The people, the priests, and the king alike transgressed the covenant, we found in chapter 6, verse 7. Their faithfulness was like a morning cloud and morning dew. And whereas God said that he would have healed Israel if they would have returned to him, their sin was uncovered more and more, he said. They were exposed with their grotesque, putrefying sores and all. And importantly, God saw everything that they did, everything that they willfully thought about, and he even willfully thought about all of their wickedness, and he remembered all of their sins. Tragically, the, the people in their wickedness refused to think about what God intentionally thought about. But their actions were before God's face. They couldn't hide it. He saw it. And they would reap what they sowed. 
But God likened the nation's political life to that of an oven heated and stirred and stoked by a baker so that the flames would be hot and, and raging. The prince's hearts were like an oven, Hosea said, and yet their hearts were stoked outside of the watchful guard of the baker, and by the time that that baker was awake and aware of it, it was too late, right? That was the picture. Ephraim was like a cake unturned, scorched on the one side, raw on the other. They were completely uneditable, uneditable in that sense. The call continues to go forth that the day is coming when those who make themselves like an oven raging with flames in their own perverse passions, that they will be made as a fiery oven by divine wrath. When that day comes, they shall burn as an oven if that fire isn't extinguished by divine grace and God saving them and sparing them from such. And so two of the most telling and troubling statements in this picture was the Lord saying that none of them calls upon me. And in their pride, he said, none sought after him for all of them. They played the fool as they played around with the other nations, refusing to return to their covenant Lord and to seek him. And so Hosea goes on here to expand the picture tonight. Let's consider Israel being like silly doves in verses 11 and 12. And God's words of, of woe and destruction in 13 and 14. And God's strengthening, but Israel rebelling in verses 15 and 16. Look with me at 11a. He says, Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. And so in addition to cheating, in addition to being unfaithful and and they're being prideful and being ignorant and blind. Israel says that they were silly. There was a silly senselessness that was characteristic of them. And what are these qualities of doves to show us? This being silly and senseless. Why bring that up? Why is that important to this picture? Well, in their sin, Israel was like a witless dove that was easy to be trapped. And the silliness also compares Israel to the flight patterns and the habits of doves in the open sky. And if any of you are dove hunters, you're keenly aware, you're, you're locked in to uh, the flight patterns of doves and their behavior, right? You can see that. If you've seen doves fly, you can see that silliness, that offness in the way that they move and maneuver in the air. As you watch them, they dodge and they weave. They, they dip and they rise. Their the movements appear unpredictable, not having a clear direction, many could say. And how was this evident then in the people's lives? Well, in what they did with Egypt and Assyria, their actions there made that all the more clear. And Hosea says this even in 11b. He says, they called to Egypt... And they go to Assyria. Now remember how Israel sought security and protection from these other nations. Isaiah spoke of God's serious view of Israel's call to Egypt in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 30, 1 through 3. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me 
and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. And therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. And trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Again, we've seen this time and again, haven't we, as we've seen Hosea put forth this picture of them trusting in other nations, going to other nations for healing, for help, for refuge. Even their very enemies. Because surely they could help, right? No. It would be their shame. Would be to their humiliation, their destruction. And notice these repeated words in this passage in Isaiah 30. For God says, You took these actions, but you didn't come to me. You devised these plans, but it wasn't according to my spirit. You did this, it wasn't by my advice. You didn't ask for my advice in prayer. How similar do we see that connection then to what Hosea? has been teaching us, don't we? The Lord has laid out these things and given His plan, His help, His guidance, His command to His people. And they've rejected it each step of the way. And they've asked for it from others. Further, Menahem gave Pul, the king of Assyria, much silver to acquire his help and aid. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 15. Verses 17 through 20. If you'd like to turn with me there, you can. 2 Kings 15, verses 17 through 20. We read beginning in verse 17. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, became king over Israel and reigned ten years in Samaria. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Pul, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver, that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man fifty shekels of silver, to give to the king of Assyria. And so the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. So we see this great treachery right, that Menahem committed. He paid off the king of Assyria so that they would leave the land. Pekah formed a coalition with Syria, Damascus, against Assyria. In 2 Kings 15.29, this is another example of what Hosea is teaching us here in that they go to Assyria. Hosea then shifted allegiance from Assyria to Egypt. We see that in 2 Kings 17, verses 3 and 4. And so Hosea likens Israel to a dove in this regard, considering such examples of them fluttering around from nation to nation, from Assyria and to Egypt and back. And yet we know that those who forsake God, 
will find no rest in the things and the people of the world, but they'll wander endlessly. We see this in verse 12a, wherever they go, I will spread my nets on them. I will bring them down like the birds of the air. My friends, in their flitting and their fluttering, they wouldn't be able to escape God's divine net of judgment. There was no way that they could go to find some type of place to hide from him. There was no place that they could go where his net could not reach. God would bring them down. He would bring them down like a bird in the sky. And on the one hand, one could agree with the statement in Proverbs 1.17 when it says, Surely, in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Right? There are many birds out there that hunters go after, and they're crafty, they're smart, they're witty. They see some of them coming, and they are able to get out of their reach and escape their net. And yet, consider also Proverbs 7.23b, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know he cost his life. Birds are also attracted and take baits, like many animals. And they go to the trap, although they are not aware that it will be to their death. This is very much like Israel. Look at verse 12b. He says, I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. The word of the Lord, my friends, had sounded in the people's ears many times before. We even see this back in Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26, verses 14 through 17. There we read, but if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Beloved, may this be a sober reminder that all of our thoughts and our actions are open and thoroughly known to God, and therefore we should walk in holiness and godliness before Him. Remember also that as God chastens us, He does so in love, that He would grow and mature us, that that He would purify us, that He would make us wiser and more obedient in the future. The dire consequences for disobedience is really what God goes on to communicate through Hosea in verse 13. He says, Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them. Matthew Henry says this, I think it's helpful, the woes of God's word have real effects. Totally agree. I think we need to be mindful of that even today. The woes of God's word have real effects. Destruction makes them good. The judgments of his hand shall verify the judgments of his mouth. Those whom he curses and pronounces 
woeful. They are cursed. They are woeful indeed. It is never good, beloved, to be the recipient of a woe from the living God. That is a curse. That is a strong statement of God being against them. And see what they had done. They had fled from him. And why did God pronounce a curse upon them? As they fled, they sinned against him. And they did so in what specific way? Look at the second half of verse 13. Because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, note, yet they have spoken lies against me. My friends, God redeemed his people. He literally brought, he bought them back. That's what the Hebrew word means there. He bought them back. Leviticus 27, beginning in verse 26, says this, But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation, and shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. This is an example of how that Hebrew word of being redeemed and what it means, even seeing it in this context, is pointing to the reality of being bought back. The same Hebrew word is also used in Exodus 15, verse 13, referring to Israel's deliverance from bondage. And so this likewise points us, then, as we consider these very words of the Lord, that this woe was pronounced, it was because they fled from him, destruction was coming upon him, but here they transgressed against him, even though he had redeemed them, they lied against him. But oh, how this points us, wonderfully, to the redemption that is ours in Christ, as, as we are, are dreadful sinners, as, as we are dreadful sinners who have been redeemed, who have been pursued, who have been bought by the Lamb. Points us to our redemption in Christ and our ongoing battle with sin in our lives, doesn't it? Even as we consider these very words that Hosea said. For when we say that Christ redeemed us, we are speaking of His purchase and His ransom of us with the price of His own life. Delivering us from the bondage and the condemnation of sin and yet in the midst of such a glorious deliverance, we engage in the daily battle, even of lying, of being untruthful, of doing things that are against our God, much like we see with Israel. God said Israel lied against him. They were hypocrites in their profession. They followed false gods. They denied his good providence, and they rejected his prophets. In verse 14, he says, they did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed against their beds. They assembled together for grain and new wine. They rebelled against me. Take a moment and think about this picture here. Hard crying, wailing on their beds at night. They bore much pain in their souls that 
brought them to many tears, maybe even anger-fueled tears. How many of you can relate to very difficult situations in your life where you've experienced great pain, great anguish, and you find yourself crying to sleep at night? You find yourself wailing on your bed because of what has happened, whatever that may be. And yet what should we do in those situations? When we are crying and in tears, we should be going before the throne of grace. We should be fleeing to our God in prayer to Him for help and aid and comfort. Right? But yet though many words likely came out of their mouth, God said they didn't cry from their hearts in prayer to their covenant God in the midst of those tears. Because their hearts weren't right with Him. Their hearts were far from Him. And so when you cry out to the Lord, I encourage you to do so with your heart. Are you crying out to Jesus for your solace, for your comfort? Or do you find yourself more like Israel, not coming to him from a prayerful heart, seeking to be right with him? I would encourage you to think about that. And do what's right by God's grace. Call out to him in repentance and for help that you would do such things as you want. But note Hosea's words regarding the people assembling themselves together as well for, for grain and new wine, he said. The people would gather together for a public show in an assembly of mourning. And whereas there is a call in Zephaniah for such a gathering to repent, in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Here Hosea said that Israel gathered hypocritically and only to keep up appearances. They met in the houses of their idols. Forbid it. They met in the houses of their idols, eating and drinking together. And so he says in verse 15, Though I disciplined and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. My friends, though God chastened them during the reign of Jehoahaz, he prospered and blessed them in the days of Jehoash and Jeroboam. And though the Syrians and others had broken their arms, so to speak, in those days, God bound up and strengthened them and, and caused them to be stronger than their enemies. And yet considering all that God had done for his people... Israel repaid God's kindness and grace with evil as they attributed their success to their idols and to their own way of worship. They hardened their hearts toward repentance. And so he says in verse 16, rightly, they return, but not to the Most High. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursings of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Beloved, Israel at times showed some signs of returning to the Lord. For example, when Jehu destroyed Baal. Or even when Hosea reportedly gave Israel freedom to go up to Jerusalem. 
In this they return, but not to the Most High. And what happened with Jehu? He fell to the calves in idol worship. What happened to Hosea? His reign was wicked, though others were worse. Israel was like a treacherous bow. What does that mean? They were, they were bent as if they were aiming for the mark, and yet like a weak and a false bow, they missed the mark. Their princes would fall by the sword, either at home or in the hands of the Assyrians. The rage of their tongue against God, against his prophets and his providence, would be their undoing among their supposed allies and friends in Egypt. This is the picture that God concludes with here in chapter 7. And so when, when God's people flitter and they flutter like doves in the open sky, he, he doesn't let us fly aimlessly, does he? Or even intentionally without response or action. If this were or is true of you, see once again that God pursues you. He brings you back down to earth with his divine net, so to speak. And whereas you were being silly and senseless, considering your sin, he brings you to your senses in humility and repentance. Praise the Lord that he does that for you, O child of God. For he disciplines you in righteousness. He pursues you as your heavenly father. He deals with you as your heavenly father. And praise God that he does so in mercy and love in Christ. And that you will not face the wrath that is to come. But see afresh also God's holy and righteous judgment against sinners. His woes against sinners. Indeed, the woes of God's word have real effects. Consider his law and his just condemnation of lawbreakers. And then also meditate on the marvelous work of redemption and deliverance that Jesus did for you. For such condemnation was rightly yours for your sin, but God, in his rich love and his rich mercy, sent Christ to come and to purchase and to ransom you with the price of his life. And may his work for you and who you are now uh, be in your mind and in your heart daily, that you would fervently resist temptation and not sin against the one who redeemed you. And so where is your heart? Where is your heart? Israel's heart became very clear and evident by what they said and by what they did. Same is true for you. Prayerfully seek the Lord to help you not be like a treacherous foe. You've got the appearance. Things look right from the outside. You're keeping up appearances. And for what people can see, maybe they don't see anything that's alarming. You're pointing your bow and your arrow in the right direction, but you are desperately in need of his help and his work in you so that your heart will truly be right with him, so that your thoughts and your words and your actions are for Christ and are in alignment with his word. 
not against him. Pray that your life not only looks right on the outside, but that such would be a true expression of the repentance and the love and the worship and the obedience for God alone that is true on the inside. So that when you fire your arrow, by God's grace, it will have power and strength and accuracy to hit the mark. We fail to hit that mark every day. We fail and we fall in our sin. In fact, that's what sin is, isn't it? Missing the mark. Breaking God's law. And yet Jesus has perfectly hit the mark that God lays out and establishes in his law for us. And he's done that for you. He's paid for your treachery. He's he's paid for your misses in terms of the sin that you've committed against him and those misses where your arrow did not go where it should. He's paid for everything. That you would be right and that you would be considered and seen by the Father as righteous in his sight because of his righteousness given to you. So praise Christ for his great work. Pray for the Spirit's work in your heart that he would convict you and mold you and shape you in godliness. That you would pursue, that you would flee Christ and not be against him. But that you would seek by his grace to serve him with your whole heart. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together.